Hi, everybody. We can actually get started. Uh, welcome to the Relapse from Relapse to Recovery uh, Ask It Basket Workshop. My name is Star A, and I am a compulsive overeater and your moderator for this meeting. Please join me in the Serenity Prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. So before we get started, we ask that all cell phones or other electronic devices be turned off. To protect our anonymity, no photography or visual recording are allowed. The opinions expressed here today are those of individual OA members and do not represent Region 2 or Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. An Ask It Basket is circulating. If you mind um, for the question and answer portion of this meeting. The meeting is being taped. If you enjoy this workshop, we encourage you to stop by the tape table to order copies of this workshop or any other meeting. They're available on CD or as an electronic download. So the format of this meeting is as follows. Two speakers will share for 25 minutes each, followed by 25 minutes of questions and answers. The topic for the session is from relapse to recovery. Our first speaker is Lynn. Our second speaker is Ella. So take it away. Hi, everybody. My name is Lynn, and I'm a real compulsive overeater. I'm also a compulsive exerciser in recovery. It's really good to be here. I'm also the public information chair for the convention. Very honored to be here and to be able to do service. And service for me is a part of my recovery from relapse, so I want to make sure um, not to forget to say that. So. Just a, a little bit to qualify, I came into program in March of 2003, and uh, so I've been in program for seven years, and um, I have a recommitted abstinence of uh, about two years and eight months, and um, so that's a little bit. So I'll just qualify as a compulsive overeater, you know, I really, I laugh when I have to move the microphones around, because when I was out there, I really thought I wasn't overly fat, I was underly tall. And, um, and I still would like to be taller, but that's just, you know, I had a ways of the denial around my disease was so strong for so long that that was a big one for me. It's like, if I could just be taller, then I wouldn't have to worry about my weight, you know. Um, so that's just, that's the, that's the mind of this compulsive overeater, you know, and, um, and, and the ways that I, you know, try to manage the number. You know, when I read more about alcoholism in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, take a trip, don't take a trip. For me, it was all about, you know, only eat natural foods, you know, go on all the different crazy diets and everything that I did that when my disease started progressing, I started putting on weight. And so um, for me, when I came into program, it just amazed me that the denial could be lifted because I really didn't think I ate that much. I thought that my metabolism was just completely destroyed by all the crash dieting that I had done over the years, the diet pills, the diuretic abuse, the over-exercising. And I, would, I really tried to be such an exerciser. I used to think I'm the most cardiovascularly fit or fat person that I know. You know, why can't I keep it off? And um, today I know it was because my eating had progressed. And so it would be extremely unlikely that I could ever work off how much I was eating. Um, so when I came into program, for me, that the truth 
you know, that first step is just the truth about, man, I really do eat all the time. I eat all the time, don't have any discipline around what I'm eating. Um, and I found, I have found recovery in this program. And it just, it was amazing to me that I could, the pounds were coming off, you know, and I wasn't living, it was that easier, softer way of um, not having to, to white knuckle it and, and just the dieting and the obsession around if I can just not eat these things, you know, um, then hide them and, you know, all the stuff that I did around food. I had freedom from that. And I loved the way it felt. And I had definitely, you know, I, I hear the word pink cloud, abstinence, and I don't know if it was pink cloud per se, but what had been shared with me is, you know, you can keep your pink cloud as long as you want, but there are days you have to paint it yourself. And, you know, and that's, that's, I was like, oh, okay, you know, I, I actually wear a lot of pink, and I, I got that. I'm like, okay, you know, I was raised, and I definitely, before I came to program, tried to be that sunny personality all the time. How are you doing? Fine. I hate you. You know, um, I never could share how I was feeling, and for me, that tied a lot into when I was struggling, how my disease came back, and a lot of that was, you know, I can only show the perfect way only show the limb that I think everybody wants to see. And that's, for me, you know, this disease resides in my thinking. And so um, I had been in program probably about four years, I'm trying to remember how when it was, in the sp uh, late spring of 2007. I, so I came into program, sorry, I bounced around a little bit. I came into program and the weight came off. You know, I came into program at almost 170 pounds at five foot one and a half. And, um, and when I started working with a sponsor and, it, you know, got a plan of eating, the weight came off. And I was delighted. You know, I was very excited. And actually spoke at, I want to say, the 2006 Oakland Convention. And um, it was on the step 10, 11, 12, you know. And I looked back on that tape later and I realized um, I was enjoying a physical recovery it was just, it was, I was enjoying it. I was really enjoying it quite a bit. But I also, when I listen to that tape now, I know there was a level of arrogance that I had. And um, I just didn't think that relapse could happen to me. And so um, I, had, I was on a convention committee for 2008. And uh, I had just gotten to a place that, you know, my program just started my program. You know, what I did to keep spiritually fit started to take the back seat a little bit to all the activities. And I had this great big OA life that I had to remember. You know, I had to work my program to keep that. And, and I started to feel this thing of like, when, when things get more, you know, calmed down, then I'll hit that extra meeting. Or if I wasn't talking to my sponsor every day like I had before, well, you know, when things get more calm, when, I, when things get settled more around work, then I'll be able to pick it up again, you know. And what started happening for me was I started to gain weight. And um, a, a physical recovery that I had enjoyed for, you know, a few years in program started to slip away from me. And it terrified me. I was terrified. The desperation of that feeling of, the outward expression of my disease showing really scared me. And it reminded me of the first time I ever went to see a counselor. They asked me, um, you know, what brings you to counseling? And I said, I think I might be alcoholic and I'm getting fat. And I don't know to this day, you know, which scared me more. The, the thing of like maybe I'm alcoholic, but the getting fat part terrified me. Terrified me. And so um, for me, my disease in my head manifested, you know, 
once you get this little bit of weight off, then you can tell your sponsor that you're, you know, you were having a tough time. You know, it's, you know, it's, <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. You know, but that's what I did. That's what I did, and the weight continued to come on, and. Uh, you know, the behaviors, you know, the behaviors around not being honest, you know, writing my food down, but eating other things. And then, but, and, and that's, like, whatever, but then to not be honest about it. Like, she was the food police, you know, and I thought you were going to have, like, that. That wasn't my experience. It wasn't because of her, you know. It's like they say, if, if, you know, higher power moved, who really moved, you know, and that's what was happening to me. And I was putting more of a focus, and the focus definitely started to be more on my weight and what I thought all of you thought about my weight. Um, and so, again, that's, that's my disease. That's when I, that's, to me, that I was in relapse. Before I took the compulsive bite, the actual compulsive bite that broke my abstinence, I was definitely in my head. And spiritually, I lost my abstinence. Emotionally, my abstinence was gone because I was obsessing about my weight, the food, and everything else. So the disease had come back in my mind. And then one day I took that compulsive bite. And for me, and it still is one of the things about that I work with my abstinence, I don't take second helpings. You know, second helpings don't work for me today. And I happen to be, and I've gone through a lot abstinent. You know, my mother passed away while I was abstinent. You know, people in this program picked me up and carried me through that. You know, showed me how to live one day at a time without my mom, without having to compulsively eat. I broke my abstinence at somebody else's mother's funeral service. You know, and it was one of those things where after the fact, it just said, why did I do that? You know, well, I hadn't been spiritually fit for me. You know, I hadn't put the focus on my own. I was so busy looking outward um, that I didn't notice myself, like, had I planned what I was going to eat that day? Um, did I ask ahead? You know, but, oh, no, I can't. She's got so much going on. I can't ask her what food's going to be there. Even though my girlfriend knew what wonderful recovery I had in this program and how important my abstinence had been to me. Um, I took second helpings from the buffet. So I went home that night and I thought to myself, I handled that funeral really well because I brought up a lot of feelings around my mom, something I hadn't planned about because my mom had passed away right about the same time of year, actually. And um, I talked to my husband about it and he actually, God love him, he said, well, you better go to your meeting tomorrow and tell him what the hell happened. <laughs> and it was like the shock that I needed because I had been really waiting to get better again before I told you guys that I needed help. And and I don't know, you know, I had gained back probably about 20 pounds. Um, and, and I don't know, to me, I was obsessing, thinking everybody had to know what was going on or where was the person to go. What's going on with you? Are you okay? Have you changed your plate? And I really, you know, it's again, no one... It's not everybody else's job to obsess about my, you know, my physical recovery, you know. Um, but I went to my meeting that morning. I tell you, that was one of the hardest things that I've really ever done. And, you know, and I have the most, I mean, everybody's home group is the most loving home group, but I have a wonderful loving home group. And I went there and I told them I broke my abstinence. I had second health things. And that for me, that's, that's it. You know, that is, there's no skipping around it. I broke my abstinence. And um, I told my convention chairperson, you know, I've broken my abstinence. How do you feel about my continuing my service? Which was humongously difficult um, because my pride is it's my worst enemy, really. And she said, if you think you're back on track, if you're working with a sponsor, you're working the steps, let's see how it goes. And that's what we did. And the service that I did for that convention, you know, it helped keep, it helped keep me back on track when I, when I realized that service of, in and of itself is a reward 
So I let myself get a lot of resentments around the service that I do because I'm a great little people pleaser. And, um, and, you know, it was a great convention, and I was, I was getting back on track. I can't say for me that I have had the same experience of um, – it, it didn't feel the same. You know, getting absent, it didn't feel the same the second time around that it did that first time around. You know, and that's just been my experience. But, you know, I, I definitely had a level of humility and empathy that I hadn't had before for people that have experience with relapse. You know, I consider myself in program to be a much more compassionate and understanding person in recovery than I was when I was out there, you know, eating. But um, I just, there were definitely times where I didn't get it. You know, I didn't get it when people relapsed. I was like, I don't understand. We have this wonderful life. We're all feeling so good. I don't get it. Um, and now I got it. You know, I got it. And I definitely didn't want to lose as, as much as I want to always have my absence, I don't want to lose that empathy that I have still for those suffering in relapse because it was suffering. It was really suffering. I was, you know, miserable. Um, and then feeling like, again, like a sham at the meetings, you know. And I still, to this day, I have a hard time. If I'm not the weight that I think you all think I should be, I have a hard time when we qualify saying, you know, how much I'm down from my top weight, etc. And um, so... What my experience has been um, since, you know, I work, I work really hard at being honest, just being honest and being who I, you know, being my authentic self, basically. And the people in this program have never let me down in terms of saying, well, you know, that's just not good enough. You know, my, I really hung on to the, the principle that, you know, the only requirement for I have of coming here is have a desire, not, you know, a desire. Sometimes it's not even the willingness, you know, but a desire to not eat compulsively, or for me, you know, also not exercise compulsively or abuse diuretics or other drugs to, to try to make the number change. So I used food to um, change the way I felt and thought, and I used activities like exercising and drugs to change the number on the scale, you know, so that I didn't have to admit that my eating was affecting my physical self. Um, and so the last couple years in particular, you know, this uh, – I haven't, I haven't always been the, the lowest in program that I've been. You know, I have gone up and down in my weight. And for me, what I tell my sponsor one time, about a year and a half ago, I said, I feel like I back myself up to a big ass-kicking machine around my food, my plan of eating. And then eventually, when I'm physically unhappy enough with the way I feel in my body, I finally go, okay, already, I'll look at some level of discipline around what I actually eat, you know, and I have to have that structure. You know, for me, I have to, to, to maintain my abstinence, not necessarily to maintain a specific body size because I'm trying to get past what, because I know now, I don't know what my body size is supposed to be. I have to let my physician tell me and, um, and, and, you know, I look in the mirror and I don't know what I look like. Just like when I used to look at a plate, I didn't know what it looked like, you know, it's like, um, so that's, the honesty, the willingness to come back and come to meetings, the willingness to, to just set, you know, I know what my abstinence is, so, you know, if I want to be comfortable in my body, then my plan of eating supports my abstinence. Um, I don't, I don't, my own personal plan of eating doesn't define my abstinence, but it helps me be at a body weight that I can be, I can be happy in my body about, and that I, that I feel like my higher power is like, you're, you know, you're, you're able to do what you need to do to be of service. Um, and I, you know, I don't always feel like I meet the mark, 
Definitely. I def um, when I was asked to speak, I thought, man, I really want to lose 10 pounds before that. <laughs> you know? um, and sometimes, like, you know what, I'm not willing to change my plan of eating sometimes. Um, but today I can be honest about it and be honest with my sponsor about what I'm really eating, and, and that's an amazing thing. Um, we had in my intergroup a uh, workshop on relapse and recovery, and I think it's really important. I think that to, to that 12-step within, you know, whether you have a 12-step within day or a 12-step workshop, um, there's a lot of things in the little book, As Bill Sees It, this is AA-approved literature, so I could talk about it a little bit. Bill had a lot of great things to say about slips that um, at our workshop we, we took some of the quotes and one of them was, you know, try not to carry the whole load yourself. You're not all of AA, you know. You know, and I think that for me that was something that really resonated. Um, another one was um, that he said that I, I think you're suffering from a lot of needless guilt. Um, there's a lot about looking at looking at why, you know, looking at looking, doing a lot of writing about, you know, where am I at in my head? Because I don't know how I feel half the time. Thank you. That's the tenant left, right? Yeah. Um, so I, I find that even in recovery and working with a sponsor to really try to take the time to write about my feelings. You know, how do I feel about things? Because my, generally speaking, my kind of first thing is to, like, make everything okay. So um, I kind of censor my thoughts, censor my feelings before I have the time or opportunity to really genuinely feel them. Because for whatever reason, that's just how my mind operates. You know, I'm not allowed to have a negative feeling. I spent years, so I, I would say I had a great childhood. It's just a shame it lasted 36 years. Um, and I really, today, you know, I could be such a baby about things still. I'm in the playpen of Orange's on and sometimes they'll let me eat at, at, eat at the grown-up table, you know. But uh, it is um, just to really have a feeling. And one of the things I loved about early recovery was that I realized, wow, if I have a bad feeling, it'll go away. I used to think, like, my immediate reaction is I have to change the way I feel right now because this is never, I'm going to die from this feeling. And I learned that. And, but when I'm, um, you know, not necessarily spiritually in tune, I'm much more likely to feel that way, that, that impending calamity, you know, that feeling that nothing's ever going to be right ever again. And, you know, I, I just don't even want to be me, And which is what I spent my childhood, basically, like trying to be anybody else that I could, any, any fantasy. I lived in a fantasy world. Um, so what my, what my life looks like today, you know, in recovery after relapse, um, is I really do work closely with my sponsor. You know, I really try to spend 15 minutes a day talking with her honestly and a little bit something different I do. I used to have kind of this, like, monologue type, this is what's going on with me kind of thing, and I try to do some writing every morning and email it to her so that, so that I can apply what's going on to me, but in a disciplined and structured fashion because I don't have, I don't have discipline. I'm an undisciplined compulsive overeater. Um, and so that actually has been helpful because things will come up from, like, the For Today is one of my favorite ones, and Voices of Recovery actually is one of my favorite daily readers. Um, also, what has been suggested of me lately, because I've just been kind of running a little ragged and I have a tendency to not say no to anything, is to start my morning with those pages in the big book, you know, upon uh, awakening, reflect upon the day, and especially ask to have my thinking removed from dishonest, self-seeking motives because I'm, you know, if I'm working on my own agenda, it is, for me, setting myself up for a relapse because it's all about what I'm going to lose, what's not going to be given to me, that I deserve, and all those things. 
and it actually, I told my sponsor, I said, I can't do it. Like, for some reason, when I very first wake up, I just don't. My first thought when I wake up, I try to roll out of bed, hit my knees, and say, please. And, um, but I'm not that. I'm kind of like, I need to get ready for work, you know. But when I'm in the car, in the parking lot, before I enter my workplace, which is where a lot of my anxiety comes, and where a lot of my um, kind of, if I just throw more lid at it somehow, things will get better, you know. Um, I sit in my car and I read those three, you know, two and a half pages, and it just gets me focused on something bigger than me. You know, there is a God. I'm not it. Get out of the way. And kind of just like, it's going to be okay. And my experience over the last two and a half years has been, um, over the last, in particular, the last seven months, I signed on to this convention committee, and I always say to people incoming, like, expect your life for some reason or other to get completely turned upside down right in the middle of the whole thing. So I changed jobs unexpectedly. I didn't want to do I, I didn't expect to do it, I should say. It's become, it's a good thing. But in October, I found out that I was losing my job, found another job. My dad was diagnosed with cancer in February. Uh, he's local, which is lucky because we get to, my sisters and I, tag team it. Um, but all these things are going on, but that feeling like everything's going to be okay has come back to me. So that spirituality, you know, that's how I tell that I'm having some connection, my higher power is stepping in, and I have this feeling of really being cradled and taken care of and that everything's going to be okay, even though, you know, people go, oh, your dad's going to be okay. And it's like, it's not like I think he's going to necessarily be physically okay. I don't have any control over that. It's not my job. Why not him, you know? I mean, lots of people get cancer and... and you know, don't get better, you know, but it's going to be okay no matter what happens. And that, for me, you know, is, is, a, is a big deal. So um, I think the last thing I will kind of wrap up with is, so I, I try to read the big book every day. I work with my sponsor, be honest about my food, even when I think it's something that she won't think that I should be eating, waiting for her to go, wait, what? You know, and, um, and, and evaluate it myself, too, and go, how are you feeling about your food? You know, I mean, are you, are you eating more than you need to to maintain your five-foot, one-and-a-half body? Um, and there are days that, that I, on my plan, I say, you know what? I don't need this much food. I need to really look. If I want to be the size that I'm happiest, I really should do something different with my plan of eating. Um, but I don't have to break my abstinence over it. I don't have to break my abstinence because I don't think that what, I, what my abstinence is is good enough for all of you. And that's where the turning point for me, too, is, is that I just want to I wanna be a compulsive overeater who keeps coming back and is in recovery and, um, and, and just gets a love from the program because my experience has been overall, people aren't judging me. That's all in my head. And it really is in my head. Um, and so just to back up a little bit in comparison to the way I feel today with everything's going to be okay. I had a very troubling day at work yesterday. I had a work thing come up that was unexpected, and I was upset about it. And um, it reminded me of when I was struggling at my other job that I was in this place where I just kept like, throwing myself at it and throwing myself. Like, if I just work more, if I just work harder, if I just somehow do all this stuff, then it'll be better, you know. And I just hit this crazy bottom around various areas of my life. And I literally, I remember that feeling when I came into the program. It was like, I give up. I give up. And I literally told my boss, I give up. I can't do this. I can't do it. I can't do any more. And my trying to do more is probably counterproductive to the whole project, you know. 
And it felt so good to admit that I can't do it on my own. And that, you know, I get those reminders all the time for me. It's a God thing. I can't do it on my own. can't do it on my own. Um, so I guess the last thing for me is that I have a tendency to, um, to be hard on myself and just to remember to be kind to myself. Because if I can't be kind to myself, then I'm usually in a position where I'm not wanting other people to be kind to me either. Like I don't either expect it or um, I just, you know, it's just really hard for me to operate in that like limb beating mode where everything I do isn't good enough. And um, to, to remember in uh, the big book, and it's one of the stories, and it's always that page, it's the, page, the acceptance, you know, that if I was, if God didn't want me this way, I wouldn't be this way. If God wants me to be a different way, he'll make me a different way. So if I'm, you know, I'm perfect in my imperfection, all I could do is keep coming back. And I was talking to a reporter, um, and I said, you know, I just want to be a compulsive overeater that keeps coming back. I don't, I don't want to be one that doesn't come back. Um, and that's the biggest thing for me is that, you know, I definitely think that the theme of keep coming back has really saved me over and over again. Because when I was out there eating, people weren't asking me to come back. You know, I mean, I, I was eating before I came to program. You know, my behavior, my attitude, my, you know, neediness and all that were not qualities that people were like, yeah, invite her again, you know. And today, uh, I get asked that. And not just in program, you know. My, my bosses ask me back every day. And my family asks me back. I mean, we have, I, I get so many gifts of this program. So not only do I have to remind myself daily with gratitude lists and all these things, what a wonderful life I have because of recovery. I have to remember how bad it was when I was in Overeaters Anonymous, gaining weight, not, you know, not being abstinent and not willing to tell you guys that I can't do it alone either. Because somehow in my head, I was the one that was supposed to be able to do it alone. So I think that that's pretty much all I have to say. I appreciate your listening, and I hope you all keep coming back, too. Thanks. And now we're going to welcome Ella. I'm a compulsive overeater. Um, so there, yeah, there's a couple of, okay, so people are where they need to be. There's a couple of chairs over there, I guess. Um, so on June 16th, which I guess is about 12 days from now, I'll have been in program for 28 years. Um, um and right now, um, I'm about 14 and a half years of continuous abstinence. Yeah. Now, when you subtract 14 and a half from 28, you don't get zero. You get, you get 13 and a half. And um, that's not every day of those 13 and a half years was I overeating, but um, I have experienced with multiple, multiple, multiple relapses. That was my story. And I guess I want to focus a lot on the recovery part of it um, and talk about some things that were true for me. And, I, you know, we always start off by saying, this is my story. It's not, it doesn't, it's nobody else's. But, 
I really don't know that that's that helpful. Because if it was only my story, I, I mean, you know, it's sort of interesting, like some kind of anthropological experiment that you come here. But I have to hear, there's, I heard me when I came to OA. The first meeting, I heard me. And if I hadn't heard me, I would never have kept coming back. And <clears throat> what I heard was that people ate as I ate and stopped. And that was the most important thing to me. And that's the thing I held on to for all those days and for all those years. And I want to say that the one thing I did was I kept coming back. I never, never, never went away. I went to meetings, sometimes two, three meetings a day. I made the phone calls. I worked the tools. You know, not because I was a good soldier, but because there seemed to be one problem. I couldn't stop eating. However, it seemed as I could make a telephone call. It seemed as though I could read some literature. I could go to a meeting. I could call people. For sure, I called people. Who else would listen to somebody be miserable over the fact that they'd eaten, you know, mm, whatever, you know, whatever quantity. I, I was your basic unit eater. Um, <laughs> you know, it's like kind of, there is only one unit and that's all, the entire package. I mean, the other day somebody asked me, a friend of mine, she said, well, have you ever eaten an entire package of cookies? And I said, what? <laughs> Serves one, doesn't it? You know, <laughs> that is a serving. Um, and um, where was I? Um, so, um, so those were, that was true. It was true for me that I could keep um, doing all those other things even though I couldn't stop eating. So the other day somebody called me and they said they were in relapse and they heard I had some experience with that and, you know, what did I say? Well, I said that the most important thing for me was honesty. And I'm looking here at step one and it says, this is from the AA 12 and 12, we know that little good can come to any overeater who joins OA unless he or she first accepts her devastating weakness and all its consequences. You know, I always thought that first step, what a no-brainer. I am powerless over food. Duh. Why am I here? But the thing was all its consequences. And, you know, I like to say, use this analogy, I am powerless over poison oak. I'm highly allergic to poison oak. There is no way on God's earth that I will get near a poison oak leaf. I mean, I am vigilant. Um, I, you know, run home and scrub with Technuel, get in the bath with Clorox. I mean, I'll do anything not to get poison oak. Um, and I wish that I felt toward breaking abstinence and compulsive overeating that way. And maybe there's those who do you know, have that defense like putting a hand on a hot stove. And honestly, I don't. I, I just know that I don't because the food is so seductive. But, but I do hold in my mind that cherished thing that abstinence is the most important thing in my life without exception. 
And I want to say that when I was overeating, it was important to me to still hold that as truth. Whether or not I could achieve it, what I learned here was that it was okay for me to want and to try for something that I could not do. And that as long as I was willing to keep on trying and recommitting with consistency and uh, I don't know what, at some point it was with hopelessness. You know, someone said, are you willing to work the program without hope? Just do it. And I said, okay. And someone else said, pick yourself up only one time after you fall. That's all God is asking from you. So I had to say, it didn't really matter either that I'd been abstinent three years ago for three and a half years and, you know, wanted to tell you that, um, or it didn't matter that that morning I'd just eaten, you know, 12 donuts. What mattered was I willing to take the next step toward abstinence. And you know how it is. I didn't have to begin on Monday, the first of the month, the first of the year. I could begin right now. Um, because the other thing the disease was really, really good at was that kind of um, despair and cynicism. Well, why abstain? You know you're just going to overeat. Um, you know, why bother? And I had to say, well, okay. It doesn't matter. What matters is I'm willing to do it right now. Even if I overeat tomorrow, even if I leave this meeting and drive straight to name, you know, your favorite place, it doesn't matter. What matters is right now that I'm willing. So um, it was very important for me to be honest. It was very important for me to call somebody and tell them what I'd eaten. You know, I do have people sometimes call and say, well, I'm having, you know, mm, I overate. Oh, yeah, what'd you eat? Well, I ate some potato chips. And I like to say that some is not a quantifiable amount. And, you know, like, well, some, a bag. Well, uh, what size bag did we eat? You know, <laughs> bag, you know, little one-ounce bag, you know, Costco for, for the entire Super Bowl party. I don't know. Um, that one. Okay, fun, you know. Um, and it's okay. Like, I had to just take that shame and blame off the plate. Um, last night I, I went somewhere and they had this, this, this food I eat on sale. Well, why don't I tell you what it is? I don't eat dairy products because I overeat them, but they make this almond cheese, which tastes really like nothing. But, you know, you can melt it and it's not dairy. So guess who eats it? Along with the, you know, blessed by Hal Alvarado bread. And, you know... <laughs> It's a melted cheese sandwich, only it's almond cheese and flaxseed, you know, bread. But, okay, so they have it on sale, and it's like, you know, 50 cents less than normal. So that's big, you know. And I said, and it was way up high, which I can't reach. And uh, there's a young guy who's stocking, and I said, well, could you get me a few of those? And he brings down. I said, well, actually, I'll take all that are there. And... Uh, He's counting them out, and finally there's 11, and I think, oh, Jesus Christ, this guy is seeing me buy 11, thi 11 of these. And I said, oh, mm, how embarrassing. And he turned to me, and, um, you know, maybe he was a teenager, I don't know, but he said, you know, embarrassment is in your mind. 
And um, I thought, yeah, right. Wouldn't I say that to you if you said, oh, I'm so ashamed, you know? I would have said, you know, you're just adding that on. And I thought, wow, you know, maybe he just thinks it's adorable that I'm getting a bargain. I'm getting things I want. You know, and I'm like still like whatever food, whatever I'm doing with food is weird. And, um, you know, that may be true, but there's weird that supports me. Um, and there's weird that doesn't support me. Um, so the other thing I had to understand is that um, I wanted to be very clear about what was going on with me and this disease. Um, and that is that I really wanted to be abstinent and I really wanted to stop compulsive overeating I just didn't necessarily want to do the things I had to do in order to achieve that state. And I was telling somebody today, it's like, you know, you really want a job, but I don't want to go on a job interview. <laughs> or wouldn't it be nice to meet somebody? Well, I do not want to go on a date, you know? I mean, that is a horrible idea. Um, Really, it would be very nice to have a clean house. I would love to have a clean kitchen floor. Man, I mean, I don't like a dirty kitchen floor. I honestly don't. But somehow, you know, that desire and getting out the mop, they, they don't connect. So I would say that, you know, not choosing the foods that caused me to overeat is often a hard sell. And and I want to say even now, you know, I have to not go to the restaurant where it's likely that I will order that thing. You know, it starts way upstream. And um, I'm not always willing. Um, what else did I want to talk about? Um, I wanted to talk about, um, I remember, you know, that sometimes... Like the, the other today, this person called and said, well, they'd been in this place that had a very strict food plan, and now they were blah, blah, and, you know, they didn't want to have that strict food plan because the strict food plan triggered them to da-da. And I said, well, you know, for me, I relapsed off of every kind of food plan. I relapsed off the strict food plan, and I relapsed off the loosey-goosey food plan. I relapsed off the, well... No sugar in white flour, you know, fine. Anybody heard of a jar of mayonnaise or, you know, a, a jar of peanut butter, a, a chicken? <laughs> a chicken. <laughs> Abstinent. <laughs> um, I mean, I didn't eat sugar and white flour um, for since 1985, you know? didn't eat that and man was I relapsing you know it's I for me um I don't those I don't eat sugar it doesn't work for me but I'm not I'm sure there are people who abstain and who can eat it um in whatever a, a moderate quantity is uh, you know that to me is not the issue um so um I have to say that I don't think it's the food plan that 
keeps me abstinent. It's the willingness to be on the food plan. And the food plan that I'm able to be willing to be on is the food plan I need to be on for that time. And sometimes it was going to a very structured one because that's what it took to show me that I was willing to believe a higher power could remove the obsession. And I do remember when I talked to this woman and I said, who was in this, had this plan, and I said, oh, I can't do that. And she said, well, right, you're an addict and you don't want anyone messing with your drug. And the minute I saw it that way as opposed to, oh, you know, this food plan's crazy and they eat this food, which is not really a food, and you know, and yan, 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 yan. And when she just said, you're an addict and you don't want anyone messing with your drug, and why don't you just try it for a day? So the other thing I felt about this whole thing with relapse is it's, I really just have to come back to like the fact that I'm a beginner in program. It doesn't matter. Each day is me one day at a time. Going out is no different than what I was doing before. I mean, I was always out. You know, like it's my pride or, you know, the horror of it. You know, I, you know, I was, I sort of tasted something, something worked and it didn't. And honest to God, I don't know why on January 6th of 1996, you know, I told people I used to write in my little, my little day book. I have these little books and I would write A for abstinent, B for binge, and my calendar looked like A, BBA, I think it's some kind of sonnet form, A, BBA. And um, it would be like that. And then, you know, one day it went A, A, A. And I don't know why. Um, I do know that it, it seemed to be what I had to make was the decision not to pick it up. And some days that decision is really hard. And I, I don't mean to be, a, you know, a blanket on anyone's, you know, there's a bad metaphor there. I don't mean to discourage anyone, but after all this time, there are days when it's still hard. And it's like I have a friend, you know, who's been in program and abstinent longer than I am. And quite frequently, we call each other at the end of the meal and say, dinner's over. And I think once I called him, I said, I have some really, really bad news. And, um, you know, big silence. And I said, dinner is over. And, you know, um, I think she called me back and she said, you know, I was really worried at first. I thought something really bad had happened. And I said, well, yeah, something really bad had happened. <laughs> Dinner is over. And, um, and, I, and I think that that's still true. I still have, you know, what I call separation anxiety when it comes to food. I don't want to be separated from it. And... Um, you know, it's sort of like I needed to buy the 11 packages. Um, I like having them all there in the refrigerator. Um, you know, I have a few extra cans. Like the earthquake kit is well stocked, yeah? Um, and, um, but finally at the end I want to say that some things that really helped me and helped me were people who were really honest. And I don't want to say that it's okay and that they're there, dear, and you're just where you need to be or, you know, that doesn't help me. Um, I am okay as a person 
you know, or God loves me no matter what weight I am. That's not the point. Of course God loves me. You know, this is, this is, my weight is obviously not an issue um, to whatever God there is, but I believe that a higher power's will for me is not to abuse myself. I, you know, someone said, well, you know, God willing, I'll be absent. Well, God is always willing for me to be absent. God's will is not the problem. Um, you know, God doesn't think, well, hmm, maybe in 2012 uh, she can be abstinent. I have some other people who are ahead of her on the schedule, you know. Um, that, I'll, I'll put that one off. No, you know, God's time is now. God's time is today. And um, at least, eh, I believe that. Um, that's my opinion, whatever. You know, I believe God's time is now. I believe God is always willing for me to be abstinent. I be- just like I believe God is always willing for me to be kind and to be loving. And that I'm not always willing to be those things. And um, I also want to say that I didn't have to be, and I had to get over the idea that I had to be spiritually evolved and emotionally together in order to stop eating because I'd look and think, God, that person is an asshole and they're not overeating. Well, fine. Ooh. That's a bad word. <laughs> oh, dear. Sorry. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, that's okay. Um, because... It's all of a piece. I mean, I'm growing, and um, and I'm trying. And that's all that we can be expected to do. And the other thing was that I, I you know, people like to say, well, I learned a lot from my relapse or, you know, as part of my recovery. I, I don't know that I think that. Um, I think that um, I learned that, oh, what, that, that, um, that this needs a lot of attention, um, that that something else isn't going to strike me abstinent. You know, that was what I was waiting for. When people said the miracle or people said higher power, I thought, oh, higher power, fairy godmother, you know. Um, and no, not like that. I feel like the miracle is that I'm willing to exercise the power of choice. I'm somehow able to do that, and I don't know how. But um, I had this fabulous sponsor once when I was in Maine. I don't know if any of you know about Maine and what people are like in Maine, but um, they're they're sort of straight shooters. And I remember when she said, well, you know, what are you going to have for lunch? And I said, well, um, oh, I'm just going to leave that up to my higher power. And she said, God's not putting the food on your plate. What are you eating for lunch? And I said, oh, uh, well, okay. Um, And I think that the fact of the matter is, is that it's just like, you know, God doesn't change the oil in my car. And, um, but, you know, maybe somehow I'm given that willingness, I'm given that ability to take care of things because I have you. And for me, going to meetings and having a sponsor and being willing with just consistency to keep doing this thing that I could not do, 
Um, I don't know how. I have never in my life stuck, stuck with anything that I was so miserable at. And, um, you know, because I was always like, I'm out of here. And it's kind of helped me because, um, you know, I've done a number of things that I don't do well. I'm getting old in case anybody, <laughs> well, in case it's a surprise, but um, which it is, actually. It's been quite a surprise, but that's the topic of another workshop, um, that, um, you know, my body's not doing what it used to do, and I go to these yoga classes, and I can't do the postures as well as other people, or I go on these hikes, and I'm the slowest, and one day it got to me, and I said, well, somebody has to be slowest on the hike, might as well be me, I'm making a lot of other people feel a lot better about their abilities, you know, and, and that came from here. That came from it's okay to hold a seat in here and be the person struggling. It's okay. And um, that any ideas I have about judgment are the judgments I have about myself. They, without those judgments on myself, nobody else's judgments have any power over me. So I just want to say that I hope I can be of some hope to other people because truly it is true that if you had been around when I was in the midst of it, you would never believe that I would be here. I think there are many, many, many who never believed that I would ever stop eating. Um, and they certainly hoped I would talk, uh, stop talking about not being able to stop eating. But in any case, um, that's what I had to do. I had to keep talking about it. I had to keep going to meetings. I had to call a sponsor. I had to commit my food. I had to do everything that I could. And that one day it did stop. And so I just want to encourage everybody to do what they need to do today and what they can do today or what you can do today and to say that Recovery is available to every single person who wants it. So. Um, the speakers will now draw questions from the Ask It basket for the remainder of the meeting. Do you want to just stand up here? Yeah, we're going to stand up. And the thing is, if you didn't get a chance to write, if you didn't get a chance to write a question and we get through them and you, I suggest that you just raise your hand. Okay. Should we just take them? Sure. Do you want to go first? You don't no, go right. You take okay. So the first question we have is, has there been a deeper commitment to OA after relapse? And, um, you know, for me, one of the things that I really, um, that I went through when I was, that had, had my relapse and was struggling is I, I had had the physical recovery, I'd been feeling so good, and there was this thing of like, this doesn't happen to me, this doesn't happen to Lynn. Um, I said that I was the poster child, but I was really the raw, raw girl for OA, you know. So for me, there was definitely a level of mindfulness once I got, you know, once I 
had had my broken my abstinence and came back, there was a mindfulness about whether or not I was walking the walk or just talking the talk. Because I'm so good at saying what I think you all think I should be saying or the boss or the family or whatever. So, um, and I remember again saying things like, you know, my life depends on coming to this program and, you know, desperation for me is a gift because I really, you know, I need to be desperate to live a life where I have to be rigorously honest and accountable and care about something other than, you know, what I want on any given time. So, um, and I will say that my, um, my commitment to build deeper relationships in this program has, um, the quality over quantity has increased. So my, my, my listening to people on a deeper level has, I've tried to improve that because sometimes I talk a lot and sometimes when people are talking, my thing is like, what am I going to say when they stop? And so to be able to try to be really present and, and especially with my sponsor of what they're actually talking to me about. So that's my answer to that. Okay. Um, why don't, maybe we'll just take these in turn. Is yeah, that easier? Yeah. Um, so I'm going to, there's two questions here that seem to me to go together. And one is, how does one define abstinence and what is the definition of relapse? So I think that, um, that the World Service Convention was trying to come up with a definition of abstinence and it was um, refraining from compulsive overeating, uh, binging and purging, um, anorexia, and eating in such a way as to maintain and approach and to maintain a healthy body weight. Now, I know people get very wonky about this body weight issue. Um, and, I mean, there are medical standards for what a healthy body weight is. And it's been my understanding, and I think it's true that sometimes when when we've been really, really obese, it's not necessarily going to be possible to achieve as low a body weight as might be recommended. Um, but, you know, if you, weighed, if you were 600 pounds and now weigh two, that seems like, wow, you know, let's not quibble. But um, I do think for me... Um, that I think it's, for me, I think it's important to put the weight component in to the definition of abstaining at some level because, you know, it's quite possible to eat three meals a day or to say I haven't eaten sugar and flour in 25 years and I'm still overeating. Um, you know, I, I know it's hard. It's not a moral issue, but most of us like to overeat <laughs> or undereat. You know, let's be true. Why are we here? You know, um, I remember this fabulous meeting I was at once. This guy got up and said, well, you know, sanity returned to him when he knew he did not want to eat like a normal eater. He wanted to eat like a pig. And, yeah, like why admit it? I don't want you know, a normal size portion. Honestly, um, that's just the truth. Um, 
So I guess the definition of relapse, <laughs> you know, it's hard because uh, maybe you want to talk about it too. There's slips. You know, what do we call slips and what do we call relapses? And some food plans, some programs, a slip is a relapse. You know, you know, it's like you're not you're not a little bit pregnant. Um, you know, you're like. Um, I don't know about little bit pregnant. I, I guess I feel like in this program I've had to give up and I feel like most people who've been absent for a long time have had to give up the idea of perfection. Now, saying I'm not perfect can, you know, kind of cover a multitude of sins. I mean, there's not, there's imperfection and then there's um gross error, you know. In other words, like there's a typo and then there's complete misinformation. So, you know, maybe the slip is the typo and, you know, even a few typos, right? Um, like, we're, you know, but it's not like, gee, this whole thing has no bearing to what it's supposed to say. And for me, you know, like, I think it was very helpful when uh, you said that taking seconds was not part of your abstinence, you know, and so um, it's hard. And I know, you know, honest to God, there's some times when I've eaten in a way and I remember calling someone and said, boy, I would not like to see a videotape of that. You know, I would not like to see my relationship with that piece of chicken, you know, on YouTube. <laughs> and someone said, well, you know, maybe that's a good sign. If 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 I'm eating in a way where I really wouldn't want anybody else uh looking at it. So, you know, I've had to be somewhat I mean, to me if I went out tomorrow and you know, just went to the store and said, "Well, I think I'm just going to have a candy bar and who cares." You know, that would be not absent. <laughs> so, I don't know if you want to talk to that. Uh, yeah, just real quick. That, that That's for me, too, some level of structure. You know, I think when um, at times that I've been struggling with the concept of, of how, you know, how do I use the tool of a plan of eating to support abstinence, um, and then there's the really undisciplined side of limits. But if I put that in writing, then if I don't do that, then that means I've broken my abstinence, and I don't want to be a person that has to say they've broken their abstinence. So, you know, and, and that's, it's, there's, um, it says in the big book, you know, we're undisciplined. So for me to be able to have the list of foods that I know I am allergic to, and I love this about the food milk, you know, going to any length, um, or for me also second helping, Second helping is a big deal for my, just my abstinence. And I remember when my mom had passed away, we were having dinner at my dad's pretty much right out, you know, afterwards. And um, I, like, almost just automatically went to get stuff. And, and I, re, you know, I recoiled as if from the flame. I was like, oh, my God. I put, you know, I hadn't eaten any of it, but I had put it on my plate. I just gone to the pot as I had had years past growing up, probably lots of childhood. Just, you know, I was on autopilot, basically, after this experience. But I realized it, and I literally just dumped it back in the pot. And then I thought, well, that was rude. I just dumped my face on my plate into, my <laughs> into the pot. But we're all family, so we can share cooties, you know. <laughs> Better them than me, you know. And that basically it was like, sorry, but this is getting off of my plate, you know. And so for me, it's really important. And my list of foods that just make me eat like a crazy person. 
you know, and that was something that, for me, when I came in, um, it was suggested to me, like, what do you, the things you nod when you say, oh, yeah, that one, oh, yeah, don't eat, I don't want to do that anymore. And so those are, whether you call it bottom line or putting some structure around or something that, because what I don't want to do is call everybody I know and go, did I bring my abstinence? Am I abstinent? I don't know if I'm abstinent. You know, that does not help me because everybody has a different idea. And I, and I don't want to put that on someone else either of like, I, I don't make you feel bad, but if I did that, I would think I broke my asses. So that, for me, the structure is really helpful. And again, I came in here not knowing what I look like, not knowing what my food looked like, and so to have some structure is really helpful for me. And then breaking abstinence, then, you, then there's some level of, if I did that, I can just be, and then there's a level of honesty, like, oh, that's, it's just, it, that's where it takes the moral issue out of it. It just is what it is. It isn't evil, bad, good, sin, whatever. It's just a break in abstinence. So that's all I have to add to that. Yeah, I think that made me want to think again is that, um, you know, abstinence, it's not, how can I say, it's not like a reward. It's mm-hmm. not like the gold star. It's not like um, you're taking away the money I earned, you know. It's, and, and it's like if I'm willing to just say, this is my recovery because and not keep on adding all that moral issue and shame and pride and ego and I mean look I'm human of course I add that to it but then it's knowing that I'm doing that and that's coloring it because then if I'm saying well I don't want to have a structure because or I don't want to have a commitment because if I don't keep the commitment then I'll feel bad but then if I never make the commitment I'm never going to keep it so it's like, what is my intention? It's okay to make the commitment, and then maybe I don't keep it, but it's okay to keep making it and making it and making it. So there's some other questions here. One. Could I, could I add one thing? The, the definition of absence has one additional word to it. It's the action of the brain. Thank you. Yes. That's very helpful. Um, so there's two things about questions about powerlessness and says how does powerlessness I guess play with relapse versus not relapse I mean like relate to relapse who wrote this play with abstinence okay well abstinence and powerlessness abstinence and relapse and then there can be a sense of power that comes from not relapsing therefore how would you suggest that someone remembers powerlessness um, I could speak to that one. Okay. <laughs> and then I'll jump on in. Um, yeah, in particular, that there could be a sense of power that comes from uh, not relapsing. Therefore, how could you suggest that someone remembers powerlessness? And Mike would go to a lot of meetings. Um, and in particular, um, for me, you know, listen, especially to newcomers, you know, and remember what it was like. Because it's true that, you know, when I had, you know, when I had that sense of feeling like, when I start thinking that I'm doing it, that's when I think, you know, then I could go, oh yeah, you know, it's 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 not me, you know, it's got, it's my connection with my higher power is helping me do it, but going to meetings really helps, and listening to pe- listening to people who are struggling. I think that you know the whole twelve step within movement and the fellowship is so great because. Nobody wants to be the, the whatever you want to call it, the invisible person or whatever that that people are, you know, the fear of relapse ourselves can't, for me, I don't want that to be what keeps me from talking to somebody that's struggling. 
because I can get a lot if I'm willing to listen to somebody who's struggling without judgment that is definitely going to support my own recovery because that's going to help me remember when times are good for me I can really remember what it was like um, and with, as time goes on, you know, I have a tendency to add humor into my, when I, when I share, I just, I have a tendency to like to be funny. So, you know, when I was really raw, though, I wasn't funny, you know? So it's kind of, it's, sometimes it's really helpful to hear from someone who's struggling because, you know, they're in it right then. And it just reminds me that feeling of today's going to be different, and then it wasn't different, you know? And that destiny, like, oh, oh my God, today, now, today, I'm really going to do it, and then not do it again. So that's really helpful to me. Here's a, a question. I still wind up feeling like I'm going to start abstinence and I eat my face off even more than I already am because it feels like starting is like a diet. Any thoughts? Well, when I first came into OA, I was not at my top weight because I'd been on a two-month fast and then I'd been on a three-week spiritual retreat in the desert and um, when I came off of that, I gained 20 pounds in about two weeks, and that brought me to that brought me to OA. And then in the first nine months, I gained like another 40 pounds. Um, and my just you know the thought kept on saying, well, if you wouldn't try to stop eating, you wouldn't overeat. You know that, that little sinister voice of the devil. If you just leave me alone, I'll leave you alone. And um, <laughs> I don't, I mean, yeah, but then what? What's the choice here? I'm just not going to abstain because I'll keep eating if I try to abstain. And this whole thing about the diet, this is a difficult one because in reality, in order to stop overeating, I have to stop overeating. And that bears... I mean, it doesn't have to be, you know, your one hard-boiled egg and a half of grapefruit and water-packed tuna and celery sticks food plan. But on the other hand, I, I do have to reduce the amount of food I'm eating, and I do have to stop eating certain foods. And that does bear some resemblance to dieting. Um, but the difference being that I have a spiritual, I understand that it's not my will that's doing it, and I understand that I'm not saying, wow, when I get down to blah, 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 then for sure am I going out and eating a hot fudge sundae, you know. But I don't know, I just have to feel that, that, that there, there is a reality, um, a sad reality that I don't get just because I work the 12 steps to... Um, and change the laws of nature, which mean that there is some relationship between my weight my, and my well-being and what I eat. Um, so I would, you know, for me, I can't tell this other person what to do, but I had to be, say, I am going to abstain, you know, and then I didn't. But I just had to keep saying it over and over, and one day I did. And even if I only abstained for a day, it was better than not abstaining for that day. And I think that our disease will kick and scream and will want to overeat, and that it's going to do that anyway. And um, 
you know, maybe for me, sometimes I had to start on a very, 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 very moderate, very simple, you know, just maybe no sugar, no binging, and you can eat whatever the hell else you want at the meal, and it can be as large as it needs to be. You know, something, just something that is it, or whatever, praying, you know, praying for the desire to stop, just praying to be able to stop. And um, I don't know, that's that's what's uh, true for me. And there's, there's one more really good question. Have you kept your relationship with God alive and in good order while you face the despair, doubt, and negativity that comes in a relapse? Wow. <laughs> um, my experience has been that um, in program, I have kept my relationship with, there has been a relationship with my higher power, and I call my higher power God, the God of my understanding and the God of my upbringing, actually, in terms of my the religion of my upbringing. Um, what I've had to do, and, and, and definitely sense that experience as well, and any times I'm struggling with what should I be eating, and is to remember to turn my will over to my higher power, his care and direction. Because um, I can, you know, pray to God and, and, and love my God, you know, and I'm, my experience is that I didn't blame God for my relapse. I didn't feel that he had abandoned me. I definitely knew that I was not putting my program first. Um, so I have... And in good order, you know, it's a, it's a one-day-at-a-time thing. It definitely is a one-day-at-a-time because I have to really maintain, a con- you know, as constant a connection as I can. And, and you know, that takes work. You know, like I said, I, I want to have a great relationship with my higher power. I want to feel his presence in my life all the time. But do I want to ta- do what it takes on a day-to-day basis to maintain that? And especially for me, meditation. Is something that I've had to work really hard at implementing into my daily routine, some level of being quiet and, and listening for God's guidance um, is a big one. Because, And then the other part of it is just um, the stopping, stopping when agitated. <laughs> me, my natural state. <laughs> Irritated and agitated. <laughs> um, and, and just say, you know, what, what's really going on? What's going on? You know, and it was something that was said that really resonated with me too is when I first came into this program I had to remind myself all, like oh I was unemployed so I had a lot of free time on my hands and I was like oh yeah I don't do that anymore like I would you know go to you know oh I wanna I wanna you know like oh yeah and I just say I don't that I don't do that anymore and even today I have to be loving with myself to say you know if I'm not in a place where I'm spiritually fit to go somewhere where there's going to be something that's dangerous for me to go, you know, if I don't have a great reason for being there, if I'm not going to be of service to somebody else, do I really need to be there? Or do I come late and leave early? You know, and that's okay. And it's not like that all the time, but it's okay that it's hard sometimes. Like, I'm, I don't think, I'm, I think that's one thing I learned in my relapse is that it's, I don't think, um, I don't expect to get to a place where one day it just isn't hard anymore. There's definitely days when it's more challenging than others to make good food choices for me because I'm a food addict and I want to eat what I want when I want it, and I'll eat yours after that. You know, <laughs> if I'm you know if I'm in relapse, so um, to be able to be okay with myself that I'm not cured of this disease, 
that my, you know, the six inches between my ears is not, you know, that the allergy is not going away. So there's foods that I'm just not going to eat. I'm going to choose not to eat one day at a time. And the, the, the mental obsession, the obsession, the compulsion has been lifted from me. And when I don't trigger the allergy, I don't have to eat those foods today. But I don't, I don't expect that there's ever going to be a time that I wouldn't have a, God, it sure would be nice to, you know, it's been so long, Anne, and you're doing such a good job, you know. And so today I can just go, yeah, 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 you know, and, be, and move on from it. So that's higher power. So um, we have, we're winding down here. I just wanted to say it says, how have you kept your relationship with God alive and in good order while you face the despair and doubt and negativity? Well, despair, doubt, and negativity, um, they don't, for me, they don't just come with relapse. Um, they come with Ella. And, God, I guess they just came in the package, didn't they? Um, and so I had to pray on a daily basis to be released from despair, doubt, and negativity. And I feel like in relapse, I had to be even closer to a higher power because I had to just keep on praying and asking for the willingness and for the obsession to be lifted. I mean, I remember once going to this... Um, I got a lot from people in, in Maine. They were just so clear. I went to a, um, a, a um, whatever retreat, and I was in total relapse. And I remember going up to this woman and saying, "Well, what do I do when I'm, you know, com- you know, have the compulsion to overeat?" And she kind of looked at me and she said, "Admit your powerless and ask your higher power to remove the obsession." <laughs> and I said, "Oh, okay." Um, and, um, yeah, you know, so I, I, I feel like one of the problems is how to keep the relationship with God alive and in good order when I'm not face down in the food because, you know, it's that, it's, it's, as I said, it's that desperation that brings me closer to a higher power, brings me to my knees. So I think we're supposed to uh, stop now. And this is great that you all came and sat in a hot, crowded room on Friday afternoon. So, thanks so much. Thank you, ladies, so much. Um, let's thank both of our speakers and all those who have done service at this awesome convention. Please stand and join hands as we close with the OA promise, I put my hand in yours.